Thank you, brother. Great job as always. I can't think of a better way to start this service tonight than to sing about the grace of God. He is so good to us. His grace truly is amazing. I'm, I'm still amazed by it. I never want to get over the truth that I have, that it's been re revealed to me concerning the grace of God. Uh, what a blessing it truly is. Good evening to all of you. I want to thank you tonight for coming and being a part of these services. I can't wait to see um, what the Lord is going to do um, this evening as we study His Word. Man, I've been excited about this lesson and getting to come and share it with you. Um, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and we're going to start off where we left off last week. Um, I am thankful tonight that we've got some beautiful springtime weather, man. It seems like for the last three or four weeks, we've been dodging storms on a Wednesday night, you know, and and uh, tonight the Lord has blessed us with some good weather, and it's good that all of you are here, and I'm so glad to see you. And um, if you haven't been praying for these services and for your pastor, I encourage you to do so now. I want to see God move this evening. Uh, I know that if anything good happens, he's got to do it. I know that we need a fresh touch, a fresh anointing from God the Holy Spirit to give us exactly what we need. And that's what I've been asking for. And I want you to do the same thing. I want you to pray that God would have his way and the Lord would have his will and absolutely everything that goes on, uh, that he would be honored and glorified. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 9 is what we'll look at in just a moment. But before we do, I want you to remember what we talked about last week. Because if you remember, you were here last week, we talked about two different analogies that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to describe the body of Christ, the church itself. Now, he starts off there in verse number 6 talking about um, the church being a field. And that's exactly what Jesus said it was as he was preaching the parable of the sower. Amen? And he actually told his disciples to pray the Lord would that the Heavenly Father the, would send workers into the field because the fields we're white with harvest. And Paul says the same thing. He says the church is a field. It's, he says it there in verse number 9 actually. He says we are God's field. Or if you've got um, the original King James, it says we are God's husbandry. Well, that word husbandry actually means a field or a garden spot. Okay, And so he says that that's what we are. We are God's field. We're his garden spot. And it's through his church, his field, that he wants to produce fruit fit for the kingdom of God. And it's so very important that we see exactly what he's talking about here. Now, we learned last time that in the field, we're all servants. Amen? Each and every one of us. Now, my service in the field may look different from your service in the field. There's plowing to do, and there's watering to do, and there's picking to do, and there's hoeing to do. There's all kind of things to do in working in the field. And every one of those things that God has gifted us to do is of extreme importance. Amen. If you don't believe me, plow your field and never hoe it. Or hoe your field but never pick it. I mean, there, the, every job that is going on in the field is necessary for fruit to be produced. Fruit that is pleasing to God the Father. So we are all ministers in the field, but our ministry sometimes looks different. I don't have to minister like you minister. I'm not called to minister like you minister. I'm not gifted to minister like you minister. And you don't have to minister like I do. You don't have to serve like I do. We all are gifted by God the Holy Spirit to do the things God has called us individually to do inside his church. Are you getting that? So there's diversity in ministry. Mine don't have to look like yours and yours don't have to look like mine, but we're all working toward the same goal. And I want you to know something. The work is a joyful work. I was just thinking about that this week as I was preparing this message tonight. I remember my grandpa was a gardener and he loved it. He loved to garden more than anything else. I can remember his name was uh, uh, Ray Milliken. And my great-grandfather, Ray Milliken, would spend all day working in his garden. He'd get out there with that Murray Tiller, man, he'd till that thing up, and it'd be just like freshly ground powder, you know. He'd get it all ready, and then he'd take, go back and put fertilizer all over the field and till it in again. 
and, and then he'd, he'd spend all day out there hoeing or picking or planting or watering or whatever was needing to do. And he really enjoyed his work in the garden. I mean, that was his happy place. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. I've come to find out in my own personal life, there's absolutely nothing more joyful for the child of God than when you know you're in the center of God's will doing what God has called you to do. When you're in the center of God's will doing what you've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to do inside God's church as we're working in his field. Amen? There's joy in the work, and I'm so thankful for it. Diversity in ministry, we need to see that. My ministry don't have to look like yours, and yours don't have to look like mine. We're all different, and God has called us to do different things um, in service to himself. But there's also unity in, in, in our purpose. We've we got to be unified in why we're doing what we're doing. So why are we doing what we're doing? Well, first and foremost, to honor and glorify the Lord. Can you say amen? And to accomplish his good will and purpose. And ultimately, his good will and purpose is to preach this glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ across the street and around the world to as many men, women, boys, and girls as we possibly can. That's what we're doing. We're unified in that purpose, diverse in our service under the Lord. But then also Paul talks about there needs to be some humility as we're serving in this, in this field. Amen? And, and he goes on to say here um, in, in these verses 6 through 9, I, I, me, uh, Paul, he said, I am nothing and Apollos is nothing. Really all we're doing is planting and watering. It's God who gives the increase. It's God who brings to life the things in the field that are the seeds in the field that have been planted. And so, folks, we always need to remember, we get to be a part of what God's doing and praise Jesus for that. I'm so thankful I get to be a part as a, as a believer in Christ, as a born-again, blood-bought believer in Jesus who's a part of God's body. I get to be a part of changing people's eternity. That's an amazing thing. Not only their eternity, but their life. Listen, through the preaching of the gospel, through loving people like Jesus loves people, through serving people like Jesus serves people, we get to be a part of changing lives. And that's an amazing thing. But the only one, the only one that should be honored and glorified in all of this is the one who gives the increase. And it's God who gives the increase. So we've got to be humble. It's not about us. It's got to be all about Him. Can you say amen? I'm thankful that the Lord has blessed our church. I'm thankful the Lord is blessing our church. I'm thankful the Lord is adding to our church. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm proud to be a member of our church. And there's nothing wrong with you being proud to be a member. I mean, I want you to know we're, there, there's a lot of other great churches. There's a lot of people um, who, who drive past a lot of other churches to get here. And praise God for that. I'm so thankful for that. But you know what? There's a lot of people who pass our church going somewhere else. Now, I don't really understand that, but I'm just saying, hey, listen. There are a lot of great churches. I'm glad that God is working right here. I'm thankful for what the Lord has done, is doing, and what he will do. But I just want you to know, the only one who should be glorified in that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives the increase in his field. That's what Paul's wanting us to see. But not only does he talk to us about the church being a field, but also a building. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. So let's look in verse number 9. For we are God's fellow workers, ye are God's field, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Now watch what he tells us. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, or precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble or straw. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Now watch. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Everybody say sort. 
Now watch what else. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as by fire. Verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You, did, you missed that, so I'm going to give you another chance, all right? We're still on, ain't we? Now, look what it says. This is amazing. Now, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The person of Jesus dwells in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. We are God's temple. We're his building. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you and thank you so much for allowing us to work in your field, to work on your building. And Lord, I'm thankful tonight you allow us the great privilege of preaching and teaching your word. Lord, I can do nothing in and of myself, and I don't want to do anything in and of myself. I don't want this to be about my ability because my ability is not enough. Lord, this needs to be about your power, your presence, and your truth spoken to me and through me. Lord, that's what I need. That's what we need. That's what I pray for. Take your truth, give it to your church, and do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's two things that I want you to see here. Well, really three. First of all, I want you to see the foundation of the building. All right? The foundation of the building. Look there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and, and verse number 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given to me as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. Now in verse 9, he again tells us that we are God's building. And we've seen in verse 16 that God says, He dwells in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in each and every individual believer. If you believe it, say amen tonight. And that's according to the truth of the word of God that we just read. So we know on an individual basis, God dwells in us. God dwells in us individually as believers, corporately as his church. Amen. God dwells in his people. That's the point that Paul is making. You've heard me say before, and I'm going to keep saying it, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. And that's such an amazing thing. And we've always got to remember that. Let me tell you something. I am so thankful for the great church property that the Lord has given us, for this beautiful building that we have here. When I'm talking about building, I'm talking about the, the roof and the walls and the floor that we're, we're, we're sitting or, or standing on tonight. I'm talking about this that we have around us. I'm thankful for this. But this is not where God dwells. As a matter of fact, when we leave here tonight, this place will be quieter than a church mouse. It really will. There'll be no life in it. Why? Because God doesn't dwell here. God dwells in us. We are the building of God. If we ever get the mindset that this is the building, then listen, we'll, we'll begin to think, we'll begin to believe. It's a very dangerous thing, what you believe. We'll begin to think, we'll begin to believe that as long as we come to this place, then we fulfilled our purpose. Your Christian walk, your Christian life as a believer is a lot more than just coming to a service once or twice or three times a week. It's not about fulfilling an obligation. It's about being, by the power of God, what God has saved you to be. It's not coming to church. It's being the church. You don't come to church. You are the church. God lives in you. Not in this wood structure made by the hands of men, but in you. You are the temple of God. We are, corporately, collectively, the temple of God. Do you got it? Now watch. Watch what else he says. You need to see that 
we are God's building, but you need to understand every building has a foundation. Every building, if it's going to stand, must have a foundation. It's got to. Or it's never going to stand. Jesus makes that very clear. Matthew chapter 16. And brother, if you will please put on the screen for me about verse number 13, I think. We'll go 13 through 17. Now, I want to read this to you, then we'll talk about it in just a moment and move on. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am, the, the Son of Man? So they, who, who that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Let's go to the next verse. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Great question. He asked his disciples then, and, and we need to answer that question for ourselves right here tonight. Who do you say he is? Is he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he a good moral man? Is he a miracle worker? Yes, he's all those things but much more. He is a prophet but not just a prophet. He is a miracle worker but much more than that. He is a great teacher. He is a great moral man. But he's much more than that. I hear a lot of these people say, well, I respect Jesus as a teacher. I respect Jesus for his moral stand. I respect Jesus for the things he said. But folks, that's not what God is asking you to do. He's not asking you to trust him as a teacher. He's not asking you to trust him as a prophet. He's not asking you to trust him as a good moral man. He's asking you to trust him as Messiah, as Savior. Dr. Adrian Rogers always said this. He said a lot of things best, but he really said this best. He said, you can't just tip your hat to Jesus. You can't just pick and choose what you believe about Jesus. Either you trust him as Savior who will forgive your sins, or you reject him. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he to you? It don't matter what everybody else says. It don't matter what I say. It don't matter what your mama says, your daddy says, your brother says, your husband says, your wife says, your kids say. It don't matter what anybody, who is Jesus to you? That's what makes all the difference. And so he asked his disciples that very question, a question we need to answer. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah is what he's saying. The promised one, the son of the living God. Now watch, watch what Jesus tells him. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Watch, verse number 18, or excuse me, go on. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the gates of hell, shall not prevail against it. Do you see that? Now a lot of people take that to mean that the church is founded upon Peter. Folks, if the church is founded upon Peter, we're all in bad shape. You may tell you why? Because Peter was a man just like I am. Peter messed up just like I mess up. Matter of fact, just a few chapters later, after Matthew uh, chapter 16, you're going to see that Peter denied the Lord three times. Cursed and got mad because people said that he had been with Jesus. Failed the Lord completely. Are you, are you hearing me? So the church can't be built on Peter. What's Jesus saying? Peter, I'm going to build my church on that statement of faith you just made. That I am the Christ. That I am the Son of the living God. Really what he's saying to Peter, I am the foundation of the church. I am what the church will be built upon. I want to give you some scripture that you can go back and look at later because the best commentary on the Word of God is the Word of God itself. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 28. I want to encourage you in your quiet time throughout the rest of this week to meditate on those verses. Jesus is going to tell you there that there's storms coming for us all. And whether or not you weather the storm depends upon what your house is built on. Matthew 7 24 through 28. Jesus is the foundation of the church. Now let me ask you something. If somebody is going, because we're talking about those who build on the building, who work on the building. Those who are building on the foundation. 
let, let me ask you, do you build from the ceiling down or from the foundation up? Before you can ever get the ceiling on, you've got to get the foundation, the floor, the walls, and then the ceiling. You can't go ceiling, walls, floor, foundation. Don't work that way. What's Paul telling us? For someone to begin working in the building, on the building, for that to happen, first of all, they've got to be on the foundation. You cannot work on the building, in the building, unless you are founded on Jesus, unless you are saved. Unless you are born again into the family of God. Because again, the building is the what? Church. The body of Christ. You've got to be on the foundation. That's where you start building on Him. On Him. So there is a foundation to every building. Jesus is the foundation of the building or the church. And if you're going to work on the building, you've got to start at the foundation. You've got to be saved. You've got to be born again in the family of God. And I've got great news for you. Jesus said, whosoever shall call upon him can be saved. He who has the Son has life. He who hath not the Son hath not life. John 3.32 Jesus tells all of us he's the foundation and you start the work on him, with him. Amen? So you need to see the foundation of the building, number one. Number two, you need to see the materials used because Paul makes a note of this right here. He says, you are God's building according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder. I've laid the foundation and other builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. On it. Again, you don't build from the ceiling down, but from the ground up, from the foundation up. You're building on Jesus. That's where you start. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, the King James always said stubble. I'm using the new King James tonight. So he gives six different types of building materials. He says some building materials is going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Some building materials are going to be wood, hay, and stubble or straw. Now, who can tell me the difference in these three and in, in these groups of three, these two groups of three? Good. One is refined. Now, being refined means that it's already been through the fire. Right? Gold that has been refined has been through the crucible, removed its impurities, removed of its impurities, and then used. Same thing with precious stones through um, a lot of heat and pressure. That stone is formed down deep in the recesses of the earth. Same thing with silver. Silver is refined in the fires of the crucible. None of those things are going to burn. What do wood, hay, and stubble, what do they do? All of them burn. All of them burn. Keep that in mind. Three of them are combustible. They'll, they'll light up. They'll burn. Three of them are not. Now, these two groups of three represent two groups of builders. Spiritual builders and carnal builders. So, somebody give me a definition for carnal. We talked about this two weeks ago. Of the flesh. To be of the flesh means you are operating according to the old sinful nature. The flesh. Somebody give me a definition for a spiritual builder. Do what now? You're spiritually, you're led of the Spirit. You're, you're being filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, operating by the power of the Spirit as you work on the building. Now, he says, you're going to use these building materials 
And, and it's it, depending on, listen to me now, where, how you're walking with the Lord as a believer. As someone who's on the foundation. Starting at the bottom and building up. Isn't that how he puts it? That'll be important in just a second as we go along. So there's spiritual builders, there's carnal builders. The spiritual builders build with gold, silver, precious stones. The carnal builders build with wood, hay, and stubble. So that's the building materials in verses 11 and 12. But now, how many of you know, there's coming a time when there's going to be an inspection of the work. So Paul is talking about the foundation of the building, the building materials that will be used, and then he talks about the day of inspection. All right. Now, look what he says there, starting in verse number 13. Watch how he puts it. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it or reveal it. What day is he speaking of? He's talking about the day when every single blood-bought, born-again believer will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody hear me? Do you know one day... You will stand before the one who paid your sin debt and give an account of how you worked on the building? So will I. Now, this judgment at the judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with whether or not you go to heaven or to hell. Nothing to do with that. Let me tell you why. Because just like the old hymn song says, if you're a believer, that account was settled long ago. If you have trusted in Jesus, that means at that moment of conversion, your sins were forgiven and you went from being outside of Christ to in Christ. You went from being spiritually dead to being made alive in Jesus. You went from being in the dark to being in the marvelous light of Christ. Your position changed. At that moment, you do know that your works have nothing to do with whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. Do you know that? Salvation is not, will not be. Listen to me now. Determined by what you do. Cannot be. For a lot of different reasons. The main one being you can't do enough. You remember me talking about swimming from here to, to Hawaii. It's a lofty goal. I'd love to go to Hawaii. How about you? But I'll tell you this. I'm never going to swim there. Not because I can't swim, but because I can't swim well enough or long enough. Are you getting me? The distance is far too great. Nothing wrong with wanting to go to Hawaii. Nothing wrong with trying to get to Hawaii. I'll just never get there swimming. Let me tell you why. I don't have the power to do that. And I don't have the ability to do that. So guess what? If I want to get to Hawaii, what do I got to do? I've got to rely on a little bit of grace. It's called a 747. <laughs> now, I can get on that 747, and by the help of the pilot, I can get to Hawaii. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. He's the pilot of the plane that will get us to where we want to be. And we're riding on the good ship of grace. Are you hearing me? Folks, good works are not the reason for salvation, but the result of salvation. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. So this judgment at the judgment seat of Christ for those who are in Christ is not a judgment of whether or not you go to heaven or go to hell. That's the white throne judgment. That, that's going to happen too for those who've rejected Jesus. That's when death and hell will give up the dead and they're going to stand before the Lord. 
you, we read about that in, in well, all over the scripture, but especially in the book of Revelation. So that's going to happen, but that's not the judgment spoken of here. This is spoken of, to, this is spoken to believers about them being judged according to their work after salvation. How you worked on the building, starting on the foundation. Now, does that mess with you a little bit? Because it does me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be standing there looking silly before the one who died for me. I don't want to be standing there looking silly before the one who took my place at the cross. I don't want to be standing there looking silly to the, before the one who is my savior, provider, protector, and friend that sticks closer than a brother. I don't. So I want to get this right, don't you? Jesus says, or excuse me, Paul says, well, you can actually say Jesus says this. Somebody tell me why you can say Jesus says this. It's all inspired. Now, Paul, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says here that one day, we're going to receive, there's going to be an inspection of the work and, and, and it's going to be tested. Look at verse 13. Each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now there's going to be a torch test. The Lord's going to put your work and my work after we've started at the foundation, after we've been put on Jesus, <laughs> He's going to start then with the torch test and see how our works stand up to it. Now, if we're working as a carnal builder, we're going to be working with combustible materials. If we're operating according to the flesh, we're going to be working with materials that will one day get burned up. Listen to me. The carnal fleshly builder can wear themselves out and work their fingers to the bone doing work that will not last. That's why I keep saying if we're going to be effective, if we're really going to make a difference for the kingdom of God, we must be operating in the power of the Spirit. Let us never go through the motions and get by when we can trust in the Lord, rely upon Him, plead with Him to fill us up and use us and really do work that He's pleased with. Let's not get by. Let's stay hungry for the anointing of God the Holy Spirit. Let's stay hungry for His work on us in us and through us, can you say amen? And let's stay humble and say, Lord, we need you. And if you don't do it, I don't want to do it. I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't want no part of it. If you're not in it, I don't want to do it. Amen? And if you're not in control of it, then God forgive us. Let's get our heart right and make it all about him. So there's going to be a torch test where it will be revealed by fire. And, and he says, of what sort it is. That's, that's the test. Now let me tell you what we sometimes get hung up on. Not sort, but size. That's how we think. Not quantity, but quality. Don't get me wrong, folks. I want to preach to as many people as I can preach to. I, want, I get so stinking sick of empty pews. I'm telling you, I don't know why people want to lay out on Wednesday night. I don't get it. American Idol has nothing on the Word of God. You, you understand what I'm saying? And I like American Idol. 
I like, you name the TV show you like. Whatever. That's fine. Enjoy that. DVR it. Watch it later. But when it's time to worship, let's come worship. When it's time to be about God's business, let's be about God's business. I get sick of empty pews. I don't understand it. And I don't get it. But I also realize it's not near as much about quantity, but quality. It's not about the size of the work, but the sort of the work. That's what he's saying right here. And we get real hung up on the size. One of my mentors, one of my teachers over at the the Bible Institute, um, Brother Don Smith, he always said this. He said, you know what? I was always hung up on size while I was in seminary. He went to seminary at, uh, down in, um, in New Orleans. And, and he said, the Lord was really dealing with me a lot of stuff. He said, because I was pastoring a very small church at that time down there while he was going to school. And I was so hung up on the size of the church. And he said, one day when I was headed over to school, you know, on a Monday, there, there was a dog dead there in the street. And he said, what I found out by Friday in that New Orleans heat, that that dog had grown in size. He said it had gotten a whole lot bigger, but it was still as dead as a doornail. Do you know you can have a fantastic church with five people in it? And do you know you can have a spirit-filled, fantastic, powerful church with 50 people in it? With 100 people in it? With 150 people in it? You can have a fantastic church with 5,000 people in it. But it's not about the size, but what sort of work is happening. Don't get hung up on the size. I heard a story one time about a lady who was looking for a husband. And she met this guy who was dressed like a cowboy, like a rich oil tycoon from out in Texas. He had the cowboy hat on and fancy boots and uh, the western shirt. Man, he looked the part. And she began asking him a little bit about, you know, what he did and what he had. And she said, well, do you, you, you look like a cowboy. Do you, do you have any cattle? And he said, well, I've got a few heads. And she said, well, you look like you might live on a ranch. Do you have a ranch? He said, well, i got a few acres. And, and she said, well, you, you look as though um, you're doing pretty well. And he said, well, I do okay. And so the night went on as they were out on their date. And for, for long, she just had to ask. She said, well, you say you've got some cattle. You've got a few head. How many head do you have? He said, I've got about 20. And she said, you say you've got a ranch, you've got a few acres, about how much do you have? He said, I've got about 10 acres. And as the night went on, she got really discouraged because she thought she had really found her a man with money. And at the end of the night, it was made known to her that the few acres he had was 10 acres in downtown Dallas. It's not about size. It's not about Quantity, but quality. Amen? What sort it is. That's what we've always got to be asking ourselves. What sort it is. Are we really doing what Jesus wants us to do? Are we doing work that he's pleased with? How do we know we're doing work that he's pleased with? Somebody. How do we know? His word. Oh, listen, folks. Jesus will never, ever, ever contradict his word. You will find his will in his word. We've got to continually stick with the stuff. And if we don't, our work means nothing. There are churches all over this country and world who are having to rent out stadiums on a Sunday morning because they can't seat the people they've got. And in a lot of those services that I've listened to, they want to talk all about living your best life now, but they don't give you the truth of how to do it because they never once mentioned sin that must be dealt with 
in people's lives. And a gospel that doesn't teach about sin, warn about sin, and the consequences of it is not the gospel that we find on the pages of Scripture. It sounds really good, but it has no power in it. Are you hearing me? That's why Paul told Timothy in the last days, perilous times are going to come, and men are going to heap to themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. Amen. And we see that today. You say, oh, brothers, you're just jealous. No, I'm not jealous. Because I, I know what he just said. It's not about size, but sort. Let's stick with the stuff, brothers and sisters. Let God add to the church such as should be saved and honor and glorify him in all we do. Now, he, let, me, let me give you just about three or four things here um, that will help us all in knowing that when we stand before the Lord, we'll pass the torch test that, uh, of our works because my works will go through it and so will yours. I, these are not original with me. Uh, these actually came from Dr. David Jeremiah, but it's so good I had to share it with you. All right. Number one, the attitude test. The attitude test. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 Verses 16 through 17. Have you ever heard the saying, a lot of times it's not what you do, but why you do it? Let me tell you what I believe is going to happen when we stand before the Lord. It's going to, certainly going to be about what we've done, no doubt about that. But I think even more than that, why we've done what we've done. Because if the why is not right, it's not really going to matter about the what. You hear me? What about the why? Why do we do what we do? 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 16. Look how Paul puts it. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I like how he puts that. I understand where this brother's coming from. I really do. It's, it's the same thing that Jeremiah said. When Jeremiah said that the word of the Lord is like a fire shut up in his bones. I don't know what I would do if I couldn't share the message God gives me. I really don't. Sometimes, sometimes, and I'm praying, it's more often than not. I almost feel like I'm going to burst before I get here and share with you. On a Wednesday evening, a lot of times, I'll preach a message three or four times before everybody gets here. I can't tell you how many times I've walked up and down these aisles just preaching me and the Lord. I'll be in the car sometimes. Man, Lord be giving me something. And I'll be thinking about, you know, what, what I believe the Lord wants me to share for that upcoming week. And Brandy will look over at me and she said, you're preaching again, ain't you? And I'll just be, I'll, it'll just be, I mean, I'll just be talking, but I'm not talking to her. And sometimes I think people think I'm crazy. And maybe a little, a little bit of me, maybe I am a little bit crazy. I don't know. But it's like, it's like it's shut up in my, I can't, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, and even, even, um, there's been times I'd wake up in the middle of the night. And the, out of a dead sleep. And the Lord gave me a message. It was amazing. And I'd, I'd lay there and just, you know, praise the Lord. Have church, just me and him laying flat on my back in the bed. That's the necessity, I believe, Paul is talking about. And so he says, I can't glory in that because it's God doing it. I can't glory in that because if he wasn't doing it, I sure wouldn't do it. I'll be honest with you folks. I didn't want to do this life. I ran from it as far as I could. That, that wasn't what my plans were ever for me. And there's, all, all, there's also been times I've thought about maybe, hey, changing careers and doing this and doing that. And, and I'll, I'll try to go in that direction and the Lord will just, Bring that two before out. Give me that two before. You know? I know that's what he's called me to. 
Necessity is laid upon me. So Paul says, I can't glory in that. Now watch. Watch this next verse. I love this. For if I do this willingly, I have reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with stewardship. He says, if I'm going to get a reward, I've got to do this willingly. Not because I have to, but because I want to. Now, whatever your ministry is, if, it, if that work that you're doing is going to stand the torch test, it's got to be done with the right attitude. Not because you have to, because you get to. With the right attitude. Not because you have to, because you want to. You want to serve the Lord. That should be the attitude in which we serve. So the first test is the attitude test. The second test is the authority test. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 5. Brother, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 5. He says to Timothy here, Now also if one competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules or lawfully. Years ago when my, my little brother... He's not little anymore. He's bigger than me. But um, years ago, whenever he started racing round track cars, and he still does that, whenever he started at the dirt track, I remember one night they're out there racing, and one of the guys that was behind him in the race went through the corner of the infield and actually got to the checkered flag first. But the only problem was he didn't win the race lawfully. He didn't do it under the authority of that guy standing up there as the flagman who was in control of everybody out there racing. Now, it was easier. He didn't have to do as much work to get across the finish line, but he didn't do the race according to the rules. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, if you're going to run and win, if you're going to be pleasing unto the Lord in what you do in this race that you're running, you've got to race according to the rules under the authority of God himself. Amen? And so what we do must be under God's authority. God tells us what he wants done and how he wants it done in his word. Now, why do I say this? You can't just say you're going to serve in the church if you're going against God's word. A lot of people have asked me in the past, do I believe in women pastors? No, I do not believe in women pastors. I do believe this. I believe when it comes to male and female we are equal in value to the Lord. But we're not same. I believe when it comes to females, God loves females just like he loves males. Because we've only got two choices. Females and males. I believe that. The Bible teaches that. I believe that if it were not for godly, Christ-centered, focused females, the church would close its doors. And we couldn't even do what we're doing. That's what I believe. I don't just believe it, I know it. Because sometimes it's so stinking hard to get men committed. So praise God for females. But when it comes to the office of a pastor, the Bible clearly states that the bishop, the pastor, must be the husband of one wife. How in the world, according to Scripture, can a woman be a husband? Now I know according to the current rules that we have in society today that that kind of gets jumbled up. But those rules don't matter because they didn't create males and females. 
They didn't create the universe. And until they can create the universe, they better go by the rules that the universe's creator gave. You understand? So, can a woman preach the gospel? Absolutely. Some of the finest preachers of the gospel I've ever heard in my life are women who share their faith boldly, powerfully. But the Bible says they shouldn't be preachers, pastors, bishops, presiding over a church under the authority of the Lord Jesus. They, they can't do that. So what we do must be done under the authority of the Lord Jesus himself, which is outlined in his word, if it's going to stand the torch test. Attitude, authority. The third one is ability. And I really like this one. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 48. And watch this. Luke 12, 48 says, But he who did not know yet committed things deservance of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. Now how many of you know, according to the scripture, and we're going to see this as we go on through the book of 1 Corinthians, every blood-bought, born-again believer has been given a gift of the Holy Spirit. All of us have. And it's with that gift that God has given us that we are to serve in the body. We'll see that outline for us when we get to chapter 12. I can't wait to get there. That's, I love that chapter. But we all have been given a gift by God the Holy Spirit. But now listen, some have been given more of some other things than others. For instance, some have been given more talent than others. Right? Right? Some have been given um, more money than others. Some have been given more time than others. Would you agree with that? And the scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. So when I stand before the Lord, I'm going to be judged according to what I've done with the ability that I've been given. Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. We have got some dear brothers and sisters in church that are such talented singers. I'm telling you, man, I just, I praise Jesus every Sunday morning when I see these young ladies, Erica, Scotty, and Nathan up here on the stage doing what they're doing for the honor and glory of God. Now, let me tell you something. When it comes to singing, with the work I've done in singing, when it comes to that, and, it, and I'm standing before Jesus, I'm not going to be judged according to the same standard as this brother. You hear me? You may tell you why? He's got much more singing ability than I'll ever have. I'm not going to be judged according to his ability how he plays that guitar for the honor and glory of God. He's got much more ability in that area than I do. I'm not going to be judged according to that. I'm going to be judged according to my ability because that's the only way you can judge fairly. Now, the Lord knows what we've been given in all these areas. And he knows how to judge rightly according to what we've been blessed with. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good? I'm so thankful for that. Praise God. Now, listen to me. When Jesus told the story of the widow's mite, do you remember that? When he talked about that? He's there when everybody's giving their offering. And he sees what everybody's putting in, who's putting it in. And he sees this little lady come up and give a mite. That is one quarter of a cent. They had the ability in that day to take one, what we would consider a penny, one cent, and divide it into force. And that was a mite. Wasn't a lot of money. That's all she had. The widow's mite. One of them. One quarter of one penny. All right? And she comes up 
and drops that in the offering plate. And Jesus says this. He says, she's given more than anybody else in this whole place. And the Bible made a point to say there were a lot of rich people there. Now, why did it say that? Because she gave outside of her ability. That's how that sister was going to eat. And she said, Lord, I'm trusting you by faith. I'm giving you this. I'm trusting you're going to take care of my every need. Praise the Lord. Now, you may be here tonight and giving $1,000 ain't going to hurt you. You may be here tonight and giving $50 and that will deal with you a little bit. Maybe that $50 would be you giving out of your need. Listen, when it comes to doing the work according to your ability, the one who gives the $50 out of his need is given more than the one who gives $1,000 that never hurts him. Do you see how that works? Same thing with time. Time is the most precious commodity you have because you only have a limited amount of it. Now listen, those who have a lot of time can use that for the honor and glory of God. To whom much has been given, much is required. And one day we'll give an account for how we've spent our time even. But I'm so thankful. God doesn't see as a man sees. Aren't you? Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter number 16 when the prophet came to the house of Jesse? I think it's about verse number 7. Somewhere around in there. First, first, first Samuel 16. He came to the house of Jesse, and Jesse had a bunch of kids. And the Lord told the prophet, he said, listen, I'm going to tell you who to choose as king when you get there. I've chosen me a man after my own heart. And so he gets there, and the first thing he does is run into the eldest son. His name is Eliab. And I believe Eliab looked the part. Let, let me tell you how I, vision, how I envision Eliab. I think he looked like, um, what's the dude's name? that played Thor on uh, Thor Ragnarok. Chris Hemsworth. I noticed all the ladies knew that who Chris Hemsworth. And there's a reason for that. He's a man, big, strong, strapping young man. I mean, he looks the part of a king. If anybody could be king by their looks, it's going to be Eliab. And so Eliab stands up before the prophet and God says, don't choose him. I don't want him. Now, I'm going to tell you something. If it would have been me, I'd have chose Eliab. Eliab looked like he could arm wrestle the football team and win. That ain't who God chose. And then all the other sons down the line came before the prophet. And God said, that ain't it. That ain't it. That ain't it. That ain't it. And finally, the prophet says, is this all the boys you got? And he said, well, I've got David, the youngest. He's out in the field tending the sheep. Surely you don't want David. It's amazing to me that even the dad forgot about David. You know? He didn't even think David was worthy, even his own daddy. So he said, we ain't going to sit down until he gets here. Go get him. So they bring David in. He's just this little runt kid. And the Lord says, anoint him. That's who I've chosen. Let me tell you why. Because God don't see like man sees. God judges righteously, accordingly. And to whom much has been given, brothers and sisters, much is required. Let's stand before Jesus and have some good work that will stand the test of fire. Amen? I love you. Let's go serve the Lord this week. Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you.
Thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of what you do in this lost and dying world. Lord, use us, we pray. Lord, speak to us, speak through us, fill us up, pour us out in whatever ability and whatever area you've given us. Give us, Lord, the opportunity to be used of yourself. For we realize to whom much has been given, much is required. And we're asking that we take advantage by your power of every opportunity we have to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.